when you come into the Paramount, it's different when you come into that Baroque theater and you mm. kind of, one way or another, some say you kind of feel the souls of performers mm. and patrons from the last hundred years, it becomes like the fourth actor in every play. Mm. Musicians feel it on the stage, the audience feels it. You can't be just anywhere. You know you're mm. at the Paramount Theater. Welcome to Everyday Superhumans, the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. I'm Charlie. And I'm Kyle. And we are talking about lights, camera, action today. Yeah. Well, camera? Really? That's a theater. I'm not sure theaters usually have cameras at them. Well, you know, Kyle, <laughs> you bring up a good point. <laughs> I mean, I know you're the one here with a film degree and film and theater are pretty close. Yeah. We're talking about theater and we're talking about the Paramount Theater. Which is ran by the Austin Theater Alliance, who is technically our guest, but it's basically the Paramount Theater along with the State Theater. They are the curators of the oldest theater here in Austin, the Paramount Theater, which has been around since 1915. And they're in the heart of Austin, too, downtown. You can see the Capitol on mm. that street. It's just, it's really cool to have the Capitol and the theater so close together. Mm. It it makes for a really pretty downtown picture. It definitely if does. If we want to talk about our Tinder profile <laughs> pictures again, yep. we got the ultimate profile picture because we were right underneath the Paramount sign. Mm-hmm. We actually got a great photo with the CEO of the Paramount Theater, Jim Ritz. Mm-hmm. Wow, he was really lively. I mean, he comes from a rich history of sports and news, and he has a lot to bring to the Paramount Theater and the State Theater. Mm-hmm. And he's also an, he's from Austin originally, lived in New York for a while, and he's back in Austin, and he's trying to make Austin a performing arts-loving city. Which, which we already, already are, is. but we, uh, I mean, now like they have things like the Moon Tower Comedy Fest, which is new. They also got the Film Fest at South by Southwest, and also the various other film fests that happen throughout the year all happen at the Paramount Theater. And I myself have seen two live podcasts there. And I have seen pre-recorded movies there. <laughs> well, that's the thing like the theater is like, it's a theater. It's made for any kind of art form that's visual or auditorial typically. The movies that I saw were the Big Lebowski and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And those were a part of the 80s. So it takes you back. It's very nostalgic time when you walk into the doors. If nobody here has been to the Paramount Theater, when you walk into it, it feels like you walk back 100 years in time. The architecture is much more closer to like the 1800s. It was built in 1915. The Blade is very Art Deco style. It feels like it's from like a different era, but yeah, it's held like so many... So many important artists and speakers from many different eras. It's timeless. Mm -hmm. And it's even hosted a president. Yeah. We won't tell you which one. You'll just have to listen. We'll just say that the president is still alive today. Yeah. That'll be the only clue I'm giving. But yeah, it was a great, great interview. I had a fun time talking to Jim. And we got to go on stage. Oh, yeah, it's true. We got to be on stage. We didn't do any live podcasts, but we stood there on stage. It was a great time. Uh... I think that they're doing a wonderful job. I've After seeing shows there, it's nice to actually get to speak to the people behind it. And Jim, which is a wonderful guest with a very, very interesting background. And a rich history of all the performers, too. I mean, he knew 
so many performers. I wanted his job. <laughs> no, and we talk about that. Yeah. We watch might. out. Charlie Hilton, the next CEO of the Austin Theater Alliance. You never know. I mean, I got a film degree for something. <laughs> How did the Austin Theater Alliance begin? Well, the Austin Theater Alliance itself was uh, the result of, uh, in uh, the early 2000s, the combination of the State Theater Company and the Paramount Theater for the Performing Arts, which were both independent nonprofits, one running the Paramount Theater and one running the State Theater Company. And they combined the two entities for a variety of reasons to create the Austin Theater Alliance, which is the parent entity that has, we have all the responsibilities mm-hmm for the management of both of these theaters, the properties, and, and everything about it. The, the most important aspect of when what has become the Austin Theater Alliance is back in the, um, in the middle 70s. The Paramount Theater has faced probably four or five different times in its 103 years of being in existence, talking specifically about the Paramount, mm-hmm. where it was at death's door. Mm-hmm. including okay. in the early 70s, where it was scheduled to be torn down uh, in, at that time. And it was owned by a for-profit entity, and mm-hmm. some community members actually owned the building itself. And through a series of transactions, they were able to... There were three gentlemen who were just extraordinary. Uh, their last names are Eckerman Scott and Bernardoni. They managed to work with the owners of the building and... And got control because it was Mm. contributed to them and over time. And it got them federal funding that allowed them to establish a nonprofit, which allowed them to do a major renovation of the Paramount Theater for the first time in in 1979 and 1980, which saved the building. Yeah, wasn't it established in 1915? In 1915. There was no renovations up until that point? There There had been some interim ones, but... It had gone for, an, let's just put it this way, it had had a lot of deferred maintenance. And uh, those three gentlemen did an unbelievable job. And then all of the board members and the others through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s really evolved the nonprofit and now the mm-hmm. Austin Theater Alliance to where uh, where we're, we're thriving, we're stable, and we have just extraordinary support from the community. Mm-hmm. We The other night, we had a uh, Scott Kelly, the astronaut that had mm-hmm. spent the, almost a year in, in space, yeah. and we had a lot of young kids, like mm-hmm. five and six years old. I remember from the stage when I was announcing it saying, these kids represented the sixth generation of Austinites who have been coming to the Paramount Theater. And that's important, that generational mm-hmm. connection, that connection to the city. So uh, very long-winded answer to your question, <laughs> but that's how we became a nonprofit, and that's why it, it, and why it allows us to do things that are mission-driven, it allows us to have the responsibility to reinvest any, you know, any net revenue mm-hmm. we have back into our infrastructure so that hopefully we'll never, ever face that period of time where we go for a long time without deferred maintenance. And that's for both the State Theater and the Paramount Theater. Where do you think the theater would be at right now if it was still for profit then? Do you think that would be in a worse condition? I think it'd be gone. You think so, really? Yeah. Why is that? I think a couple of reasons. It was headed that way. Mm-hmm. Very clearly, downtown people, you know, people forget that post-World War II and in the late 50s and the 60s, downtowns all over the country, not just Texas, all over mm-hmm. the country were dying because mm-hmm. of suburbanization. And so the real downtown real estate market had just basically 
fallen apart. I mean, it was a ghost town in downtown to a large extent. It's really not an exaggeration to say that, you know, in the mid-60s, late-60s, and early-70s. Mm-hmm. And what I think would have happened is it would have been very, very difficult. They're very expensive buildings to maintain mm-hmm. because they're large boxes with a lot of airspace in them, and they're old, mm-hmm. and they're more expensive than a modern building to take care of. I just think that it likely would have happened, and, and I'm, I'm conjecturing because at one time the, in the United States, there were over 800 of these kinds of theaters in the United States, roughly kind of this size all over the place. Today, there's fewer than 100. Wow. Okay. And and a big part of that, it wasn't because people didn't value them, it's because downtowns died. Yeah. And so that's, I, I think there's a pretty good chance it would be gone and I don't know, maybe it'd be a bank building or something. Do you think that the more common trend now, millennials moving to urban areas, like would benefit the areas like this? Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. If you, I think if you do two things, if you are very sure that you program in a way that makes it interesting for them to come to your spaces, then they will discover how extraordinary it is to see something. I'm always saying at the Paramount, I'm focusing on the Paramount right mm. at the moment, but when you come into the Paramount, you said you came to see Welcome to Night Vale, yeah, I think, yeah. right? It's different when you come into that Baroque theater and you mm. kind of, one way or another, some say you kind of feel the souls of performers mm. and patrons from the last hundred years. It becomes like the fourth actor in every play. Mm. Musicians feel it on the stage, the audience feels it. You can't be just anywhere. You know you're Mm. at the Paramount Theater. And I think if you program correctly, then people of all walks of life, and that is our mission, come in, then they go, they may not even be able to verbalize it, but go like, this feels really good. Yeah. And when you do that, right, we all as humans, we go back to places where it felt good, maybe today more than any other time. Mm So uh, without a doubt. And with the things we're doing at the State Theater as well, we, we've had a lot of programming that has very wide groupings. I remember we had, uh, oh, 18 months ago, we had um, RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan in oh. doing live soundtrack to a very famous fight movie. And it was remarkable to watch. Well... I can tell you that evening we did not have a lot of septuagenarians in. But they came in and we got to, we got to know them. And as a result, we can communicate with them and tell the things we're doing with our comedy festivals, with our live podcast, with a broad variety of programming. And I think without a doubt, their component of the downtown residential community is important and the work community has been very important to us. I saw a double header and I felt really nostalgic walking in. I felt like I was at home, but I don't know where home was. <laughs> no, but in St. Louis, just like this. I was just like, what? It transported you in time so much. Yeah, yeah. where yeah. I would like, have what? been when this movie came yeah. out. Yeah, this is the type of place I likely would mm. have been in to mm. see it. We were patrons of the theater before I, you know, came into becoming the executive director. So I've been mm. on sort of both sides of the footlights, if you will. And one of the things that, without a doubt happens is you go back and you think about 1915 right there are fewer than 33,000 people that live in the greater austin area less than 33,000 people we had mass transit in 1915 (laughs) there was a trolley that ran up and down congress (laughs) we've kind of gone backwards haven't we (laughs) but but less than 33,000 people what business person in their right mind 
builds a 1,300-seat theater. (laughs) And then Harry Houdini comes in in the February of 1916. And in the eight shows that he did there, almost 40% of all the citizens in the greater Austin area came to the Paramount Theater. And that was the way it was. The business was extremely strong because... It was a gathering place. Mm. There was relatively little like this. And on the old vaudeville circuits, these places were built to have those 12, 13 acts who would come through and they would play and they mm. would do a residency. And, come in. and I think you still feel a little bit of that. And I certainly know we make no bones about it. We said we started as a vaudeville house and we think of ourselves as a vaudeville house. And what I mean by that is our mission is to program the widest variety of programming for all of of Central Texas, and I kind of jokingly say, but where else one night may you see President Barack Obama at the Paramount? I saw that on your website. Right, and then and then a few weeks later, it's RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's who we are. Yeah. Yeah. And you can sit here and go through that all the time. And, and, and as a result, I just, I think it becomes a massively important gathering place for broad variety of individuals to be able to come. And the stories that one of the cool things about being the CEO mm-hmm. of this place is people love to tell me their stories of the history. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't bore you, but <laughs> I had this gentleman who was, he was, must have been 85, 86, something that was literally my first six months here. And I was coming, we had a, it was part of our classic mm-hmm. summer film series. And he walked up to me and he just introduced himself. He said, my, uh, my wife and I are here today to celebrate our 64th wedding anniversary. And I went, that's really cool. Thanks. I'm glad you're here. He goes, well, I wanted to tell you because I met my wife here. I was a ticket taker and she was a candy girl. And so you think about that and you go, seven decades later, these people are emotionally still deeply connected to the place. And And I'm told those stories all the time. And I think we, you know, should obviously celebrate growth and new and everything that we're doing but at the same time that's very important when it's productive when Mm. it's a thriving you know center like this that we revere and protect the important parts of our history and i think the paramount theater and the state theater important parts of our history yeah i agree so yeah one thing that you were saying earlier is like you have like a diversity of talent that comes through here Mm -hmm. Are there any noble acts that come off the top of your mind right now, like famous movies that were premiered here? You said Barack Obama, Harry Houdini. Wow. Over time, pick one. I know film person here, Charlie. Mm. Orson Welles. Oh. Was here a lot. Oh. Some of the greatest of all time back, because this was a vaudeville house, like Will Rogers was here. Um, Interestingly, Barack Obama is the only sitting president to have ever been Hmm. on the stage of the Paramount, not even Lyndon Johnson. What him here? here. It was about halfway through his second term, and he was coming to Austin for some other reason, and he wanted to deliver a speech. And he rolled up his sleeve, literally rolled up his <laughs> sleeves, and he came on stage, and he was delivering a message about, it was a bit of irony, the Congress was looking at potentially impeaching him forgot about that yeah exactly right well it never went anywhere yeah and he basically he's towards i think the last 18 months of his presidency and he was willing to say what he was really thinking Mm -hmm. at that time which was Mm -hmm. really 
I've done this, 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 this. They blocked this, 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 and they're coming after me? It was sort of a level-setting speech. And I think it probably had something to do with that period of time. Austin is a very, as we all know, um, somewhat progressive city politically, Mm -hmm. particularly in our state. Mm -hmm. And he was a bit at odds with our then-Governor Perry. About some things. And so I think it was both reaching a hand out because he spent some time Mm -hmm. with Perry, I think, actually up in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And then he came here to deliver a very pointed speech. But it was remarkable to watch a sitting president Mm -hmm. and one who was such a great order have, you know, be able to deliver a message incredibly artfully. There were two individuals, and it was very, it was fascinating to watch. There were two individual young men who were protesting over the lack of, I'm not going to get this completely right, but it was a lack of U.S. intervention in an international genocide or a a serious problem. And he stopped and he pointed to the two guys because they kind of interrupted a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Instead of get them out of here Mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing, what he did, he said, he said, I'll make a deal with you. I hear what you're saying. Let me finish my remarks. And then when I'm finished, you two meet me backstage. Oh, wow. And we'll talk about this. He finished his remark. It's all the applause and everything happens. He's, he's kind of starting to walk off stage left, and he looks at him. Oh, wow. Come over here. Come over here. And he spent five, seven, eight minutes with them mm-hmm. talking about what their issue was. I just thought it was a remarkable show of both authority, which was, hey, I hear you. But right now, there's another 1,280 people in here who have come Mm -hmm. to hear a message I'm delivering. Let me deliver that, Mm -hmm. and then I will listen to you. And it wasn't a question. He did it with authority, Mm -hmm. but he did it with quiet authority, and they did. And then he lived up to the other side Mm -hmm. of the promise, which he listened to them. I wasn't standing there, so I didn't hear the discourse. But that's what he was here here for, and it was one of those moments, and and you saw the dignity and respect in a, in a situation that could very easily not have gone that way mm. if you chose to. Barack Obama is, is the, the only sitting president to have been in here. Miles Davis oh. played here. I mean, I can sit here and go through go through history. I, 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 forever <laughs> and ever. That's one of the... Take, us, take us through the decade. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's every single show that's ever been yes. here. Well, Charlie and Kyle, I tell you, when I was here in, in 08... Oh, no, we weren't open yet. Uh, well, so 2008. Right. I, I will tell you, Maya Angelou was name. remarkable. Yeah. She was... That was a big deal. Extraordinary. <laughs> you don't she know was who, a, That's okay. I know the you, name. No, I know that's what she Anna knows. freaking out. I know, right Anna. Now. That's right. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's, by the way, Anna right now is slipping a... a um, she's Googled Maya Angelou for Kyle. He's reading it. In a moment, he will be a complete expert. <laughs> Do you want to explain? Get on mic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, Maya Angelou. I mean, I don't want to explain her whole <laughs> career. I don't know it that well, but she's just a very like famous poet about like, okay. like, very important to like civil rights and stuff like that. Absolutely. Okay, I don't really fall into poetry that often so well you will now yeah absolutely <laughs> send me some she, links on slack after yeah. those well, the thing that was remarkable about Maya Angelou was is that was is that um african-american woman who rose out of poverty i won't get all the things correct at this point but in her history which you may not know this she was the first female street conductor a uh, car conductor of a streetcar oh. in San Francisco at I think at the age of 16. Wow. She spoke something like eight languages. <laughs> she was in the Middle East and was the editor in chief of a Middle Eastern newspaper. She wrote 
and starred on Broadway. She, I think she was nominated and may have won an Academy Award for her work in film. And Mm. she was six foot one, and she was the most sort of imposing, peaceful person. And she wrote about her personal experience that was very revelatory for others who had either been oppressed or had had you know, life experiences, but she was just this remarkable, peaceful person. And the Paramount Theater was her home, and she appeared here three times. And the last time, she has since passed away. She was six foot one, physically imposing. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of her life, her knees were not very good. It was very difficult for her to travel. She traveled by bus. And the evening she was coming in here, the bus was involved in a minor wreck. They were, nobody was injured, but it was being held up by the highway patrol while they were trying to get everything sorted out. And she was extremely worried about being here late for the show. And we assured her, her producer, please tell Dr. Angelou, we'll hold the curtain. Everybody will have an extra drink. Do not Mm. worry. But she was really, really stressed because she was incredibly punctual and she really respected the theater. So I'm up in our lounge over at the, uh, with some of our donors before the show and I'm waiting to get a text of when she arrives and about three minutes until curtain, she arrives. Now, nobody in the audience has any idea what's coming in. And I had not met her previously. So they said, would you please come down here? And we have the curtain closed towards the front of the stage and and I go down there and Maya Angelou is in a wheelchair and on oxygen and I'm introduced to her and I said Dr. Angelou I'm I'm Jim Ritz and I have the good fortune to introduce you tonight I just want to know if there's anything in particular you'd like me to say though I want you to know I I believe in blessed are the brief and she just looked up at me she goes brevity all right like just like that And now I'm walking around the corner, and I know I'm going to talk for about 45 seconds, some upcoming shows, thank people, and all their things. And the last thing I have seen is this very frail-looking woman in a wheelchair on oxygen. Mm -hmm. 45 seconds later, the curtain parts, I've introduced the curtain parts, and there is six-foot-one Maya Angelou in full force, standing up. Oh, wow. No wheelchair no oxygen, and for the next hour and 15 minutes, she gave them Maya Angelou. She did poetry by memory. She told stories. She did reading. She was such a force. Audience goes insane. Curtain closes after the last encore. I'm back up there in 30 seconds. She's back in a wheelchair, and she is back on oxygen. And you went, this is a person who has spent their entire... Talk about the extraordinary capability of a human being people had paid they had an expectation she was an artist she was a performer she was an you know an intellect and she was going to give them that night what they had come there for and it was one of the most remarkable things i and you know one of those moments where you go you you all saw something incredible but if you really knew what you just saw you'd be weeping right now because it was so powerful that willpower yeah do you ever get starstruck i mean i have i just i have i, I want your job <laughs> so I, I, you know i complete i feel so fortunate Charlie, i i i mean this with with utter utter honesty 
at this point in my life, to have the opportunity to do what I'm doing right now with an extraordinary group of people that make up, you know, nonprofits very frequently have people who their remu I always say their remuneration is a little different than the rest of the world at times. Yes, you need to make money to live and mm -hmm. to be paid a fair wage to, in, in the marketplace. But the need set of a lot of people who work in nonprofits is both financial and emotional remuneration. I've got to feel like I'm contributing, right? And in, in this, in, in a way, and to be able to work with the staff, the people that are, you know, that are, you know, our people are actors and they're musicians and they're record producers and they're doing, they have these whole other lives and they focus their efforts on 103 year old and 83 uh, year old theater here and pushing the edges all the time. And we have seven full-time people on our education and outreach staff who every week are pushing out in a variety of ways. We have fifteen to 20,000 elementary and middle school children who come to performances at, at the Paramount Theater, mostly for no cost. And for over half of them, it's the first time they've ever been in a theater. And we have programs that go out to now 10, 15 different schools with third and fourth graders that are about learning how to write and learning how to express yourself. But what they're really about is about developing confidence and using theatrical techniques and things like this. And so the, the, the visible side of it is you're absolutely, absolutely right. It is amazingly, it is amazingly cool to be around some of these people. I obviously, I don't get to know them well, but, but I get to experience their sort of their live and I get to see them occasionally before the show. But what the coolest part of my job, bar none is I if it isn't clear from this discussion I know we're doing something incredibly important it's important to maintain these historic theaters it's important for this block of Austin that we are the economic driver bringing 270,000 people to this block every 12 months 90 percent of the after at six o'clock at night and boy does that make a difference to the restaurants and to yeah. the you know into the bars and everybody else and it's important for this city because we're the only place that's doing some of the programming that we do we fill that mission that mission and we are dedicated to being sure that each succeeding generation of young people have both access and the tools to be able to appreciate what we do here through our education and outreach program. So to be able to run a business that's inherently interesting and different every day and mm. faces a lot of challenges, but to be able to do it with a team of people who just care very deeply about what they do is that's what makes it a dream job for me. So, you know, you're right. You do want my job, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You really do. Can you wait a little while, though? Okay. <laughs> I'll wait. I'll I, wait I, a I, bit. I appreciate that. obligations. Now that I know all the secrets. <laughs> that's, I kept now a few I, back. Okay. I kept a few back. I read online that the blade like disappeared once and just never resurfaced it did, it like, did. What and, what's the story behind that well that that's where you get into lore okay but in 19 late 1963 the uh, the entity that was had the lease on the building took the blade down it was reported in november of 63 to be renovated now, remember, we talked about how downtown was dying and business wasn't great mm -hmm. down here. What happened is, is it was taken down and then it was never seen again. There's all this lore. It was in a field north of San Antonio. <laughs> it was taken and it's on the Abilene Paramount Theater. It's not. 
it was uh, outside of Fort Worth and all these things. When we were headed into our hundredth year in, in 2015, about we did we began a three year project. We were incredibly visible about all the work we were doing with all the preservation groups and architectural groups to raise the money to build an exact replica. And we knew that if it existed anywhere, that somebody would come forward finally, and nobody mm-hmm. ever came forward. So what? I, so here's what I think happened, and I have some general agreement to this is. I'll give it was ABC Interstate was the was the uh, in, in, entity that was the the film comp, the film distributor that was working had the had the lease at the time. I think they may have had the intention of renovating it. Mm. These things are unbelievably expensive. I think they got it down. They found out how much it was going to cost <laughs> to to restore, and it was just better for it to disappear. Huh. And so it was gone from nineteen. 63 late 63 early 64 until we built this and it took us three years of research and building and had it built Mm -hmm. with the exception of it slightly lighter lighter i think the original was four tons i think this is two tons because it's slightly um and we have led lights Mm -hmm. but it's exactly the same uh, otherwise and we brought it back in the in the hundredth year in 2015 and probably the cool which which means it had been gone for 50 years and the coolest thing was and a number of our staff members really experienced this was we had to shut down congress avenue for this it's almost 50 feet and almost five stories tall it was brought in on uh, on horizontal trucks being towed in and we had to two different cranes that were bringing it up. And so during the day, at any point in time out in the street, there were hundreds of people just watching it going on. And I would say half the staff experiences somebody inevitably, as you were standing out there watching it, and it's kind of dangling, people going, it's so beautiful. Why are you taking it down? In their minds, it had never left Hmm. the building. They thought we were taking it down. (laughs) It had been gone for five decades. And I went, we're doing the right thing. <laughs> and when it came up and, and when we we celebrated, we had a giant celebration. We had parties on top of the Norwood Tower and on top of all these other buildings in the Stephen F. Austin. We had 1,500, 2,000 people in the streets and things like that. And we dedicated and we had one of our then uh, 85-year-old volunteers pull the thing for it to light up. The, it was, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was just, it belonged. And mm. there's not a, I've already seen it when I came in early, earlier this morning. Somebody was down there mm-hmm. taking a selfie oh, with yeah. that in the background. People are always last coming. time I was here. Took a selfie behind that yeah. thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> just the coolest thing in the world, and everybody and everybody has gone. I mean, we thought it would have an impact. It's just iconically mm-hmm. so become so important, and it it's as if it never went away. Mm-hmm. And it and it really has done. I, what I love is the I guess sort of the full circle nature of it it does today what it did in 1915 though it was the majestic theater in the in 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 1950 it became the paramount in 31 but just what the majestic did or the original paramount blade it says we are here Mm -hmm. right we are here exact same thing people now today are more visibly aware of where the paramount theater is because of some device that was used in nineteen in nineteen fifteen, yeah. and I love that. I yeah. you know it's it's a, it's a practical. No matter all the other things that we all do when we mm. change, a device that worked in nineteen fifteen works in twenty eighteen. Mm. And Did I love anybody that. Anybody say a uh, Blade Runner when it ran away? Get it? <laughs> uh. <laughs>
had to. It was that. I'm sorry. Was that a film joke? Yeah. Yes. yeah, I yeah. Like Thank you, Charlie. I love puns, so I appreciate that. I'll give you a B plus on that okay. one. <laughs> I was thinking about it for a while. <laughs> well, I, like, I, like, you were holding like, on yeah, to it. I was like holding on to it, and I was just like Blade Runner, Blade Runner. <laughs> I'll have to remember that. We do pub okay. runs here, okay? Which uh, we take like we had one the other night. Unfortunately, we had to cancel the pub run portion of it because it was mm-hmm. the weather was so awful. But with Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. and uh, we had makeup artists here to turn okay. everybody into zombies, and then normally we'll run someplace. Mm-hmm. People will enjoy an adult yeah. beverage, then mm-hmm. run back and they'll watch the movie. Oh, cool. Blade Runner might Blade might Runner. make it into yeah, the you rotation. Do we have to the marketing? Yeah, <laughs> to the marketing. Let's uh, Blade get Kara who introduced us yeah. to That's you. Right. Get her to design a graphic. So the I love it. I love it. Did, did, did Charlie just offer to help us yes. um, with did. our pub runs? I think he I think did, so. yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. so. Anna, did he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So you're not CEO Thanks. yet. You're, okay. you're, uh, I, you can work I, your I, way up. I'm a mere minion. Your, que- your quest <laughs> yes. to become CEO begins, <laughs> <Yes>. Charlie. <laughs> yes. Charlie, when you're CEO of yes. the Austin okay. Theater Alliance. What do you want me to do? I want, <laughs> you, I want you to be sure that we have some sense of multimodal mass okay. transit system that includes easy access between the neighborhoods of downtown and the regional areas so that they can easily come in and out mm-hmm. for cultural entertainment. All right. And I'm a city okay. employee right now, so I can work my way up to becoming okay. mayor, and we can work together we on got, this. We got this. Watch out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Kyle and Charlie, 2035, <laughs> ruling the world. But we know this, yes. that they believe in everyday superhumans, yes. yeah. and they'll be demonstrating it. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. That's, a good, That's right now. a good way to end it. But we got right one there. more question, though. Oh, yeah. I forgot yeah, about you've this. Got... I've just got so carried away yeah. about my future. <laughs> but, you know, like, oh, it looks really <laughs> bright right now. <laughs> so if you could be a superhero, you could make up your own superhero. What would it be? Is Black Panther taken? No, I mean. No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. oh, how was it? I saw that. It's great. It was, yeah. okay, it was the that. story and the narrative and the imagination. We've just now turned this into a movie review. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I'm totally down with that. Let's it is, do it. But, but it, really, it really is. I It was my wife and I who walked out of it. I said, if I had not ever seen Star Wars mm-hmm. back in 1977, mm-hmm. I would feel about Black Panther the way I felt about Star Wars. I went, the imagine. It's technically, it's spectacular. Yeah. But the narrative is mm-hmm. really inventive and thought-provoking, mm-hmm. and and you have, and I did. I had enormous respect for the thought mm-hmm. of the story of Star Wars. Now, none of us knew that it was we were going to move into the future, then back and then back forward, and try to figure out what the chronology really <laughs> yeah. should yeah, be with yeah. all. <laughs> but but it's 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 incredibly well acted. Mm-hmm. The, the, but the narrative is equal to the technique of the cinematography and everything it's in. I loved it. I guess what, I, I don't know if this is a superpower. What I would love, I think, is 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 to have a, a combination of superpowers. So I'm going to be mm-hmm. greedy. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have hyper-wisdom. And what I mean by that is that you had the ability on everything to be able to see all the points of view and figure out, because there's al- almost always a path right to get the right outcome to get the right thing done for the most people in in, in it but it's so hard to have the clarity i would Mm -hmm. love to have hyper wisdom to be able to see what is the right path Mm -hmm. and then have super rhetorical powers to be able to influence people 
to make the right decision mm-hmm. to take that path. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that makes any sense. And I, but it, but I think they have to be into it because I can't fathom how frustrating it would be oh. if you had hyper wisdom abilities, yeah. and then you go, "How can you not see this?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then you're, but then you know, you have you have the ability to mobilize by being able to be so clear to mm-hmm. people that what is evident to you is as evident to, to them and you unlock their mm-hmm. ability to impact whatever that thing is that needs to be impacted. So mm-hmm. there you go. I don't I don't think Marvel will be buying the rights to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Not anyway. yet, though. They, they pump out so many movies, though. Like, <laughs> there might be a comic book out soon and then they'll make a movie. Hyper too, Wisdom so. Man. <laughs> yeah, right. Man. Support the Austin Theater Alliance and the performing arts by checking out austintheater.org we can find a calendar for all the upcoming events and shows that you want to go to for artists you want to support. Make sure to like the Paramount Theater on Facebook and follow them on Twitter at Paramount Austin. Looking for some good news to add to your life? Spice things up with us. Uh, restore your faith in humanity at everydaysuperhumans.com where you can learn all about the people making the world a better place and find your calling. While you're there, check out our Find Your Causes quiz to find a nonprofit that's just right for you. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter to get a little dose of superhuman news and charity opportunities happening in Austin. And finally, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at SuperhumansCast, like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash EverydaySuperhumans, and check out our Instagram at EverydaySuperhumans. Has our podcast helps restore your faith in humanity? Then be sure to rate and subscribe to Everyday Superhumans on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addicts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're feeling really generous, be sure to donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash everydayserbyhumans. And remember, not every hero has to fly. So grab your cape and let's go. Mm-hmm.